Good morning, good morning. Uh, you know, I love uh, watching television shows and like, you know, binge watching entire seasons. Anybody else in the room like that? I mean, like Netflix is one of the things I like about Netflix. Yeah, there's certain shows that I just like the idea of like turning it on and just, you know, finishing it because I cannot stand. Uh, I'm just going to go on record right now. I love Yellowstone television show. Okay, anybody else in the room a fan? All right, I just, it's in Montana and there's trout there. Okay, basically everything about it is cool. But I'm right now, it's like, oh my gosh, every time I finish an episode, I'm like, I have to wait a whole nother week. So, uh, but I love, I love certain types of television shows too. And one of the types of television shows that I really enjoy are like apocalyptic, dystopian, end of the world type of TV shows. Like I just find them so fascinating. Uh, anybody else like those? Like sci-fi, end of the world, figuring out how you're going to make it type of television. Like I, I like those shows. And so this is a show I really enjoy. It's called Revolution. It was on uh, like in 2014. Two seasons, just when it was getting good, they canceled it. Okay. And so super bummed about that. But the whole premise of this TV show is it's the end of the world, essentially. And what happens is one day, every electrical thing in the entire world just stops working. And so it's like, you know, you've got people and they're all like on their cell phones and all of a sudden everything shuts off. Everything shuts off. iPads don't work. Vehicles stop working. I mean, in the, in the beginning, um, the first episode, there's airplanes that just fall out of the sky because none of their instruments work. And there's something about television shows like that that I just find so interesting. I'm like, oh my gosh, how would we survive? I mean, in some ways, there's like this longing I have for us to go back to the way it used to be. Like before, you know, you go out to eat and everybody's on cell phones. Last night, Don and I went out to eat and we were going Christmas shopping and we walked in and I, I was counting how many people were on their cell phones with all their family. And guess how many people were doing that? It's like everybody, yeah. It's like, man, this is crazy. Are, are you with me? Like this, is, this happens a lot, right? So part of me has this longing of like the good old days, you know, when we'd have to like actually talk to each other and, and communicate and we'd have to play board games with candlelight. Or, or also too, like, um, I mean, how many of you feel very confident that if it came down to like you needing to hunt for your food, you would, you would be okay? Yeah. And some of you are like, looking to find out whose hands up so you can go and show up. Because, like, I feel really good. Like, I'm going to be eating fish a lot at my house, right? I'm going to become a river baron in the apocalyptic future. I'll have, like, I'll have a little, like, empire, you know, because I can catch fish. And I've fished with some of you, and you can't, okay? So I'm really worried about your future, right? But I, I love TV shows like this because it just, it, it does, in a sense, like, I don't know. There, I guess maybe one of the reasons why I... I'm fascinated about it is because I do have sometimes this, this longing for the good old days. You know, the good old days when, when there was less of these distractions. And I think part of that is because I think in the last probably 20, I was thinking 20 to 50 years, you know, there's been like this major, there's been some major culture shifts in our country, especially in our country. And it's really interesting because I think we live in a community that's, it's a little bit slower. I don't mean that in a bad way, but things that are happening in larger cities has happened like 25, 30 years ago. And then some of us are seeing it happen in our communities now. And it's like kind of causing us to be a little concerned, right? Am I speaking for many of us? Like, right, it's like, what's going on right here? 
And it's not just technology. I, I think there's just certain things that are happening in this society. And there's numerous things I, I could talk to you about. I mean, I think we are in many ways, you know, our, our, our country and our communities are becoming more secular. And I don't mean that like a big, bad boogeyman, but we are losing some of our, our faith um, background, our faith history. And now we have more and more people who I would consider um, spiritual agnostics, people who are not really sure about where their spirituality is. Um, plus, there's a growing number of people who sociologists refer to as nuns and duns, meaning they have no faith. There's none. There's no faith in their life. Or they have experienced really unhealthy, dysfunctional church experiences, and so they're now done with church. There's this huge growing number of people who are exiting um, church. And then on top of that, another thing that I think we have to acknowledge is there's a lot of religious confusion now. Like, um, there's a lot of people who I think if you gave them a, a, a box to check that said Christian, they would check the box, but then if you asked them what it meant to be a Christian, they would look at you and not know how to answer that question. I think some of us in this room feel that way. Like, well, I don't really know maybe, you know, all the answers. Like, what is the Bible? How should we think about Scripture? Um, how, how do people, um, you know, have a relationship with God? What is the gospel? How do I understand the kingdom of God? How are we supposed to live our lives? I mean, these are all questions that many of us, I think, have and we're confused about. We, we've lost in many ways our foundational mooring that 50 years ago existed more so in society, and now we're struggling to figure it out. And so I, I feel like it'd be really easy for us to get super depressed, and I see it all the time. Like, I know if you are one of those people that is constantly digesting media and news, it's really easy to get depressed and overwhelmed, right? Because it's like every time I turn on the news, it goes 37 seconds into it, I'm like, oh, I forgot. <laughs> Just turn it off as quick as I can because it's so negative and it's depressing. What if, in, in addition to all these, these challenges we have, what if, in addition to these challenges of us living in more of a secular age, more in a, in a time when there's a lot of nuns and duns, there's lots of um, confusion about faith, what if not only is it a challenge, but it's also an opportunity for us as a church? What if it's an opportunity for us to be a little bit more intentional to address these things and do our best to represent Jesus. And so it's with this in mind that I want to read the Christmas story today. Um, and I want to spend a little bit of time thinking about the implications of this event. You know, we all know that the reason for the season is Jesus, right? Like that's the cheesy religious thing to say at church. But I, I really wonder if sometimes if we actually have stopped to really listen to the Christmas story and to think about the implications that it has for our life. And so I want to read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, and I want us to really, maybe perhaps, invite the Holy Spirit to give us fresh eyes to hear this text. And so listen to what the, the author of this passage, Luke, who was a doctor, listen to what Dr. Luke writes in relation to the birth of Jesus. Verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, at that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius, Quirinius, the governor of Syria, was the governor of Syria, all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph 
was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for him. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in the manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherds' story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things hidden in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. And so, Father, I ask that as we spend some time thinking a bit more about this this passage of Scripture, the story of Jesus' birth, Lord, would you give us fresh eyes, fresh hearts, fresh minds to be able to see, to be able to apply, and to be able to think about how this event, which has shaped thousands of years of history and has led millions and millions and millions of people to ways of your kingdom, Lord, would you help us to see those things and how they apply to our lives today? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, shepherds uh, were one of the earliest roles in all of society. In fact, you can see this in, in the Bible. And, um, you know, the first book of the Bible, anybody know what it is? Genesis. I like how you're like, some of you were like, watermelon. You said, you said watermelon because I wouldn't know you weren't saying Genesis. You know about that trick. But Genesis, in Genesis chapter 4, it starts out and it starts talking about shepherds. And so from the very beginning of society, shepherds have, have always been a, a big part of, of human society. I mean, you can't survive without shepherds. And so they've, they've been one of the earliest roles in all of uh, society. And throughout most of ancient history, when you study history from anywhere in the world, you'll find that shepherds play, play a prominent role. And they've almost always been a very respectable job to have. I mean, think about 
how um, one of the greatest kings in all of Israel's history, King David, what was he when he was a boy? He's a shepherd, right? I mean, he's out um, taking care of sheep. And if you know the Psalms, many of the Psalms that, that David wrote were probably, in my opinion, written when he was, you know, amongst, the, amongst his sheep, amongst his sheepfold. And he was, you know, putting together these songs of praise as a musician. And so from the earliest days, it's always been somewhat of a respectable job in, in society. And I think part of the reason why shows like Revolution are so alluring to me is because I'm just kind of curious, like, what it would look like if you woke up one day and then 10 years later you had to, like, have sheep. Have any of you ever worked with sheep? Yeah, I would just be like, yeah, I'm just going to die. They're just so hard to work with. You know, when I was 16 years old, I had to... I had to go and help some friends shear a bunch of sheep. And I did not know that it was a setup because they were like, all right, go out there and catch them. So I was out there running around trying to catch them. And that does not work. If you've ever worked with sheep, it, like, it just does not work. And, and so I think about, about shepherds, and there's something alluring about that type of world, though, this agricultural society where the only way for us to survive is we have to, we have to grow it with our own hands and we have to raise it with our own hands. We have to, we have to go catch things. We have to, we have to, I mean, not only do we have to go and hunt, we have to actually make the bow and arrow to go out and hunt. I mean, things like that are really fascinating to me, but from the very beginning of time, shepherds have played a huge role in society. And, and yet what happens is over time, agricultural things started to change. And by the time of Jesus' birth, what happens is is um, agriculture in its formal sense had become the primary way to survive. And so if you wanted to be a successful businessman, it wasn't to have sheep or to have cows or to have camels. The way to make money was to have crops. And so by the time Jesus is born, most of society was built around this idea if you were able to have land and you were able to to grow wheat and things like that, you could be successful. And then, so what had happened is, is over time, shepherding slid down the social scale to the point where when Jesus' birth happens, shepherds were looked at with disrepute. They were not a, a good job to have. In fact, in many ways, the group of people who had become shepherds were the poor. And that's primarily who was doing most of the shepherding by the time that Jesus was born. So it's really interesting how throughout the Bible there are verses, verse after verse about God's heart for the poor, though. God's heart for the poor. And I've been thinking a lot about this because I feel like the biggest challenge, um, well, one of the biggest challenges that I've had in, when I moved to Red Bluff, um, and I, I know where many of us in the room are trying to figure out, it's, it's homelessness and poverty, right? It's like, what do we do? And I know that there's lots of opinions, and I probably share many of the opinions that you have, um, but I'll, I'll tell you one thing right now, is I can't get away from the fact that the Bible has a lot of emphasis on God's heart for the poor. It's all over the Bible. It's not something we can just look away from. And I, and I do think that sometimes we have this concept in our minds about what poor is. Like it's only homeless people, or it's only dot, dot, dot. And Something that really um, impacted me a lot a few years ago is, is my mom and dad had started this, um, in their church community, had started this big feeding program, this food pantry. And they were, at one time, the largest single location food distribution center in all of the Twin Cities in Minneapolis. And so every 
every week they'd do uh, food giveaways and people would come from the community and would get groceries. And I remember one time I was, I was volunteering there, which, which, which what that meant is I would have a shopping cart and I would go through and fill the shopping cart with all these different you know, items and then I would carry it out to somebody's car and I would load it up into their car and then I would always ask, you know, can I pray for you? And that was kind of the thing. And I remember I was helping this lady and as I was pushing my cart, we were, dry, we were pushing the car to her car, and her car was a BMW. And I was like, hmm, you have a BMW, and you need groceries. I'm like, I'm like in my mind, I was like, what is going on right now? And if you have a BMW, I'm not judging you right now. It's really now, okay? But I was like, man, that's kind of crazy. And I was just trying to like, I think we all make these judgments. Is there anybody else that would be willing to admit that you might be judgmental in that moment? I was like, I was struggling. It's like, oh, you know, and I started talking to my mom, and my mom, um, I was just kind of curious. I'm like, what do you guys do to, like, you know, qualify people? And uh, my mom was telling me how this was around 2009. And if you go back in time, you remember how in 2008 and 2009 there was a huge economic crisis? You remember that? So that it happened, and what had happened is a lot of people, they had, they had a lot of money in 2007, or more appropriately, had been giving a lot of credit to purchase a lot of things with, with money that they didn't actually have. And so people would purchase cars and houses and things like that. And then when the economic crisis happened at that time, a lot of people had things, but they didn't have employment. And so my mom was explaining to me how a significant part of the people that they were serving and helping were people who had homes but didn't have jobs but they were, they were in debt up to their neck because they had bought houses that were beyond their, their beyond being able to afford it. And the same thing was with cars and too. And so I just remember that was like helpful for me to think about expanding my understanding of poverty and being poor. And here's the thing about what Jesus says in and in elsewhere. He says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor. And so there's something in the kingdom of God about being sensitive to people who are experiencing poverty and who are poor. I just want us to see that. Are you all with me? Okay, and so think about this. Jesus' birth happens and angels show up to announce the birth of the Messiah to the community of people who in society at that time were the most despicable poor group of people in all of Jewish society. All of Jewish society. In fact, one, one rabbinic source says this. This is what a rabbinic, so in other words, the, the religious community of people in Jesus' day, this is how they described these people, these shepherds. It said, most of the time, shepherds were dishonest. The assumption was they were dishonest and thieves. They led their herds onto other people's lands and pilfered the produce of the land. There is no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. So in the first century, if there was one thing that you should not be, it was a shepherd. It was absolutely a shepherd. It was the worst thing to do and to be. And yet the angels announced Jesus' birth to who? To the shepherds. What in the world? God, don't you know? Don't you know? So I want to talk a little bit about the implications of this though. And so in Luke chapter 2 though. We see that Jesus is born in the city of Bethlehem, which is a fulfillment of the prophet Micah's prediction. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, um, the prophet Micah says that, you know, out of you, Bethlehem, shall come 
the, the Messiah. And so God in the flesh is not born in a castle or a mansion. Jesus is born in, an, in a manger. Now, I, I, I've done a lot of polling on this. I've like asked many people, like, if you could choose when and where you would be born, where would you choose to be born? And I mean, without reservation, people are always like, it's like we all of a sudden turn into the lifestyles of the rich and famous, right? It's like, oh man, I'd be born to like billionaires who upon birth, I would inherit billions of dollars and I would have about a fleet of Bugattis, which I found out what that is recently because my son's told me it's a really fast car, okay? And we would have servants and I mean, like my, my thinking is like, I would, I would sit in a boat. This is how, this is how I go. I would sit in a drift boat. I wouldn't even have to fish. I'd have a person fishing for me to hook a fish to hand me the rod so I could reel it in. Okay. And I'd have people like fanning me if it was hot. Are you with me? Like, this is what we do. Like we come up with the most crazy creative ways that we would we would live and we would, we would enter into society to be the gift to the world that we are. And along comes Jesus. And along comes Jesus. Jesus does things completely different than you and I would. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in relation to the incarnation. He says, though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Listen to that. Jesus gave up his divine privileges. Not his attributes. He didn't give up his divine attributes or characteristics or qualities. He gave up all of the privileges that he had. He gave them all up. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus came as a humble servant and he models for us the type of leadership that is, I think, both effective and also winsome though. I mean, that I just have to tell you one of the things that I oftentimes think about is, is what's so attractive about, about Jesus? You know, like there's a lot of things about, about church world that are unattractive. And it's because we're human beings and we get in the mix and we're, we're just complicated and, you know, we can be selfish and we can be unfaithful and we can be angry and all these negative things. But what is attractive about Jesus is everything. And what I oftentimes find so beautiful about Jesus is that Jesus almost always does it the exact opposite as you and I would. Jesus comes, and let's just put this in context. Jesus is the creator of everything. The book of Hebrews says that, that nothing can exist without being in the power of God's will. Okay, so everything is, is created in and through and ultimately for Jesus. And yet, despite that reality, he comes, and despite being worthy of all praise and adoration, I mean, if anybody was born to be like king immediately, it was Jesus. He doesn't come that way. He's born in a manger. I mean, everything about 
Everything about the Christmas story, when you really look at it, see, I know what we have going on, we've got lights, and we've got sparkles, and we've got all this Christmas flair, and it's so beautiful, but let me just tell you right now, when you look at the Christmas story, it's actually super ugly. It's dirty, and it's messy. Unwed Jewish girl is, is pregnant by God, right? And then she has a baby, and she has to have the baby in a manger. And this is the story that, that God attaches himself to. I mean, it's, it's absolutely amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And so after this miraculous birth of Jesus, though, I find it so beautiful that Jesus leads us to look at this story and maybe see exactly what Luke is trying to do. Luke, the author of this gospel, leads us to the lives of some shepherds living in the fields who are watching their flocks. Now, the manger often serves as the centerpiece of the Christmas story. And, and, you know, I think that, like, it's really easy for us to, like, get caught up in this because, like, Christmas cards, have you seen a Christmas card with an empty manger or just a manger on it, right? Like, it's really beautiful and it's really pretty and, and things like that. And it's easy to get caught up in are like, oh, it's so cute. But the primary central part of the story is not the manger. It's the person who's in the manger. It's the person who is in the manger, and that is Jesus. The feeding trough or the manger serves as the primary sign for the shepherds. And so what we have the angels say to the shepherds is, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Bethlehem, the city of David. So the Christmas story is about the birth of Jesus, who is the Savior, the Christ, and the Lord. And I think that we need to really, we need to really focus on that because it's so easy to get distracted by all the other things that But I think what I want us to just focus on for just a minute here is two things. If, if, if there's something to learn about um, the gospel story, the, the story of Jesus' birth, um, I think there's a couple things we can learn. But the first one is this. Okay? The first one is that Jesus, his birth, the whole entire thing is, is not something that is only for like the good people or like the people in society who have it all together. The fact that the shepherds um, are the first group of people that the angels show up for proves to us that, that, that God doesn't really care about where you're at in the sense of society. Like if you're at a low place in society or a high place in society, the point is that Jesus loves you and that God wants to have a relationship with you. And so we have this in the Christmas story. We have two things. We have the, 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 the shepherds represent the low part of society, and then later on we have the magi who represent the high part of society. And yet all of them are invited to come and to gaze upon Jesus. They're all invited to come and to see Jesus for who he actually is. And I love that because John the Apostle um, also says this in John chapter 1, verses 12, 13, and 14. He says... But to all who believed Jesus and accepted Jesus, God gave the right to become children of God. 
They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. He is full of unfailing love and faithfulness. So this last week, I was, uh, I feel like every week I say this, but I was out eating tacos. Okay. Like, I, di- I literally did this. It was like, I was like, I was like, okay. So, uh, Don, let's go out to eat tonight. Where should we go? Carlitos. Let's go have tacos. So we went out and had tacos. And then the next day, I, I was talking to Doug. And I was like, hey, Doug, want to go out? He's like, where do you want to go? I was like, tacos sound really good. <laughs> so we went, we went and got tacos. And, and I also had leftover tacos from Carlitos, which I ate for dinner that night. Don't judge me. Okay. But we, we go out and we're sitting there. And, and we were just talking about, about the gospel and how it's, it's, it's such an amazing thing. And the gospel, the gospel, the word gospel just means good news. It just means good news. And, and, and so I think we use that word all the time in church, though, and we say, oh, believe the gospel, or isn't the gospel good? And, and the reality is if what, if what we're seeing by the trends and the studies is true, then I have to safely assume that many of you in this room have no idea what the gospel actually is. You might have even been going to church for 20 years, but you're unclear about what the good news of the kingdom of God actually is. And so I want to tell you this morning, for just a moment, this is what we have happening in this this storyline, is that Jesus is born. Okay? Why is Jesus born? Listen to this. This is what the gospel of Matthew says. Matthew says this. It says, and she, Mary, will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Why? Why do we name him Jesus? For he will save his people from their sins. His name is Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the gospel is this. You and I, as human beings, are messed up. We are broken. We, we are easily offended. We are oftentimes angry. We are bitter. I mean, whatever. I mean, right? Can we all just say, yes, I'm a sinner? Like, I feel like in church, it's like, you either go to church and feel like you're being judged by people who think that they're better than they're not, or you're unaware. But let me just tell you, we're all broken. Every single one of us. And the good news is this, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and that son chose to be born in the way that he came so that he could live a perfectly sinless life for 30 years and then get sentenced to be crucified and died on that cross for you and I. And so the gospel, the good news, is about us having peace with God. It's about us having salvation. It's about us having reconciliation and redemption. And so here's the beautiful thing. Like, I just really imagine myself like, and it's, I, don't, I can't do this, I have too many issues, but I take all of my baggage, all of my brokenness, all of my sins, all of my, all of my issues, and I come to Jesus and I lay it at the cross, and it's through Jesus' death on the cross that I can be made whole. And it's such good news. It is such good news. And so I was telling Doug, and I just need you to hear this, I was telling Doug that, 
when I think about God's love, it is overwhelming because I don't deserve it. And you don't deserve it. We, we do not deserve God's love. And here's the beautiful thing. This is the part that just blows me away is that even, even the things that I think that are hidden from God, because I know we all, like, we're all like, I know God can see everything, but not this thing. Even those things, even the things that you are constantly wrestling with and you're constantly worried about and you're constantly overwhelmed by and you, you just are convinced that God could never love you because you have those things. Even those things, Jesus says, not a problem, I still love you. I still love you. So again, it's not our inability to love that we are defined by. It is God's ability to love us that we are defined by. And that's the gospel. And that's the message of Christmas. So we gather around every December and we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And let me tell you why there is joy. Because for unto us this day has been born our Savior and His name is Jesus. And that's why we celebrate this time. Let's stand up together. Notice something about the shepherds, though. So the angels show up, and the angels are like, "We got something to." And it's like this big cosmic climatic moment where, I mean, it makes sense why the angels would say, "Don't be afraid," though, right? Because if you and I were out like chilling in the grass with our sheep, and all of a sudden these angels started singing, I would be like what is going on, right? I'd be like, what is going on? I'm so scared right now. Like, Did I do drugs? I don't know about it. Like, what is happening, you know? Like, we would just be freaking out. And so the angels say, do not be afraid. I, I've come to, 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 to bring peace to you. I've come to tell you the good news. And so immediately, the angels disappear. And then what do you think that the, angel, the uh, shepherds do? They don't say, well, let's wait find out like over the next couple of weeks as this is true. What it says is that they hurriedly went to go see Jesus. And I think that there's something in that for all of us in this room. So I'm going to encourage you to close your eyes right now. Okay? Just this is a moment for you to be able to discern what the Holy Spirit, what God is inviting you to. But oftentimes, I feel so overwhelmed by knowing all the things I have to do in order to make God happy. It's like, oh my gosh, the list is so big. I've read the Bible a couple times. Okay? And I think that that prevents us sometimes from moving forward. So here's the question right now. Just close your eyes. Right now, what is the one thing that you believe Jesus is inviting you to? What's the one thing that Jesus is inviting you to? And I want you right now to think back about how those shepherds hurriedly responded to the invitation to come and see. So what's the one thing that God is inviting you to? So Holy Spirit, I pray right now for your presence and your power to help each one of us to, to see Jesus for who he is to see Jesus as the embodiment of 
as we're standing here, there are things that maybe are popping into our minds about what we need to do to continue taking steps of faith. I pray right now, Lord, that you would give us grace to be able to respond to those things, to respond to those invitations, that we would hurriedly go and see. So just with everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed, I really feel like there may be a number of you in this room that you've been, like I said, you've been coming to church, like you are a church person, you're churchy. And yet you may have never made a personal decision to accept the grace of God to, to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And if you haven't done that, the beautiful thing about the gospel is that the Bible teaches us that we don't have to, like, earn this. Like, there's, in fact, we can't. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation, to earn peace with God. It comes because you make a decision to receive that grace and you begin to believe that Jesus did die for your sins that he was raised from the dead and that he will one day come again. And so if you're here this morning and you've never made that decision, what I want to do is give you an opportunity to do that. And so again, this is, everybody's eyes are closed right now. This is not a time for people to be looking around. But if you've never made that decision this morning and you would like to receive grace, that you would like to make a decision to, to, to respond to the invitation of the kingdom of God, I'm just going to ask you right now, just to put your hand up, just to, just to let me know, like, yeah, I would like to receive that today. I would like to receive grace. Okay, there's a number of you with hands up. Is there anybody else? So I'm going to pray for you right now, but again, with everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed, I'm going to tell you right now, from this point on, this is what this means for those of you who are saying, yes, I want to... I want to get real with God. What happens is that when you say yes to Jesus, you make the decision to to begin following Him. There's a couple of things that I think that you need to do in order to grow, to continue that. And the first one I would say is you need to start praying. And praying is so complicated for when humans talk about it, but it's simply talking to God and listening to God. So just start talking to God. The second thing is I think we need, you need to read scripture. And so if you don't have a Bible, please talk to me after church. I will, I will get you a Bible. And I want to encourage you to start reading scripture. And then the third thing is I think you need to be in community, which is people meeting with other followers of Jesus. So Sunday mornings are good, but there's other spaces. And I would love to get together with you and talk more about what it means to follow Jesus. So Father, for those right now who have who have raised their hand and said, yes, they want to receive you, whether it's the first time or maybe they're reinitiating their faith, I pray for your grace to rest on every single one of them and that you would, you would empower them to walk their, their faith out. And Lord, I pray now for everybody else in this room that this coming week we would, Lord, um, we would know who to invite to our Christmas Eve services. We would know who to invite to our gatherings. That you would be, you would, you would help us to be outward focused, but that you would also help us to take the time to think about the impl- 
implications of God being full of love and full of grace and full of mercy and full of truth. We thank you in the precious name of Jesus.